You must tell me all your secrets. Remember, we must share everything together. chance to improve your table conversation. Tell Michael you live in a big house and you spend £400 a week on clothes. I spend £400 a week on clothes. You eat in the best restaurants. I eat in the best restaurants. Georgina, try a little harder, please. Okay, can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, you sound so... This it's like picking up perfectly, amazing. Okay, great. So, I do great pickups. Yes, I'm, I'm. You know, I'm a great. Everyone says <laughs> I'm a great pickup. <laughs> um, I'm probably gonna keep that in. <laughs> Pick me up, slam me against the wall. You know, <laughs> amazing. Like so, I'm Helen Mirren, and I'm like, wearing Jean-Paul Gaultier. Okay, oh my I'm God. ahead of myself. I wish. Um, okay, <laughs> welcome back to Girls, Guts, and Giallo. Uh, as always, I'm Annie Rose Malamet, and today I'm joined by the amazing Tina Horn. Hello. Uh, hi, Tina. And uh, Tina, can you introduce yourself and, and tell us who you are, what you're about? Sure. I'm Tina Horn. I am a writer and media maker. My big projects right now are I, well, so I'm, I'm primarily an, a nonfiction writer, but I have gotten into writing fiction for the first time, publishing fiction on a large scale for the first time. So my first science fiction serialized comic book safe sex or sfsx is out now from image comics and by now i mean it's seven issues and it started coming out in september 2019 and will be coming out in your local comic book store through march 2020 and then the trade which collects those first seven issues will be out in june 2020 just in time for pride and that is a queer sex worker hero social thriller action adventure dystopian sci-fi and it is you know it's genre fiction that that incorporates a lot of the social and political themes of my nonfiction work which has primarily been like i said journalism about sex culture and sex worker rights. I've written for Rolling Stone. I have published a couple of nonfiction books. I do a podcast called Why Are People Into That? That is the way to get me the most raw and unfiltered and just having fucking conversations with sluts and whores and perverts about sex, kink, gender, and love. I've been doing it totally indie for six years and um what else am i 
I'd, I'd like do a bunch of other stuff, but uh, those are my, those are my main focuses right now. Amazing. I love your podcast so much. Thank you. And it, I, anybody who listens to this, I think would like it. So 100%. Yes. Very much kindred spirits. So I, I completely agree. Go listen to it. If you haven't already, we are Wish that I slut yeah. whore positive over here um <laughs> yeah what totally and i often wish that i could talk more about pop culture and like critical theory on my show i mean i i do whatever i want but you know when we're we're talking a lot about sex and you know it, th those things come up but i'm always like you know but it's like this movie you know but it's like this book you know but it's like this one song like yeah your show is like the version of all of those same topics that foregrounds the cultural texts absolutely so i love listening to it and i'm so happy to be on it yay i'm so happy um and we're talking about a this is actually my first ever viewing of this film. So this is, I think, first for this podcast. Um, that is wild. I know. I can't believe I'd never seen it before. And we're talking about the 1989 crime drama, <laughs> The Cook, The Thief, The Wife, and Her Lover, written and directed by Peter Greenaway and starring Richard Boeinger, Michael Gambon, Helen Mirren, and Alan Howard in the titular roles. <laughs> so, Tina, you picked this film. So, yes. why did you pick it? Well, I love talking about any movie that I can, that I have a physical memory of my VHS copy of mm. so that's that's one thing and i you know you your prompt was controversial movie and i was thinking about this very much coming from a time when i just had this like voracious appetite to consume and understand anything that had any air of intellectualism and frankly pretentiousness to it. And I feel <laughs> like, like what, when I think about the cook, the thief, his wife and her lover, I think, and Peter Greenway in general, I just think about this bygone era of my life that is not really by or gone where I just was like, if it's pretentious, just mainline it to me. Like <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's, just, there's gotta be, I would just, you know, I want something to like sink my teeth into. And, and I guess specifically like pretentiousness that is also really maximalist, right? Like there's mm. a lot of pretentious things that are very like dry or quiet or, or, or tedious and and i like some of those things too i like a talky film for sure but like i am i'm very into maximalism and i feel like there i've never thought of this movie as like um 
like a huge influence on my work um but returning to it i mean that's the fun of of doing a show like this right is is returning to something that you haven't given much thought to in many years and thinking about the role that it might have um played in like my sensibility or my sense Mm. of style or just like yeah my my tastes which is uh has a lot of meaning with with this film and um but it's i mean if there's if there were one thing to talk about with this movie and my attraction to it it is the sex uh, <laughs> i mean all all of my you know almost all of my work is about sex and like themes of like illicit lust Mm. are always very interesting to me and just this movie made me incredibly horny i mean i'll just you know this movie made me me incredibly horny when i saw it actually every time i see it it makes me incredibly horny and it's been in my my spank bank uh i can like say like oh you know i find this movie sexy but like this is definitely a movie that i have like this i've thought about the sex scenes while masturbating um and of course, I'm sure we'll talk about that a lot. And I kind, I definitely want to talk about the ways that, like, the desire in this film is literally heterosexual. But I have a lot of queer readings of it. Oh, I'm interested in that. Are you? Are you interested in that? Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, it's. You know, but it's also listen. Anything that is both horny and disgusting and maximalist in the sense of just like everything is so over the top. And I, I think that there are moments of camp, but also just moments of like everything being like extreme and it's very grotesque. And um, uh, yeah, it really. The more I talk about it, the more I'm like, yeah, this is like an an ur text for me, and it's kind of nice to return to it and be like, it's just audacious. I love anything audacious. That you're like, nobody gave this person any no, like this person figured out how to not have anybody give him notes, right. and like so, sometimes that's frustrating because like it's like white guys get that a lot, and then right. people are like you're a genius nobody gave you notes and then like a lot of us have to like fucking take notes and make compromises and make concessions um and nobody calls us geniuses um right but uh uh yeah so i mean horny and gross is my brand so (laughs) so i'm here for it and i was really excited to have the chance to actually watch this um i've yeah i'm so i'm so curious to know what you thought of it especially since like i saw it quite young like definitely not like right when it came out um but yeah young enough to buy it in the bargain bin on vhs but like you you and I have such similar sensibilities now, but you were just seeing it for the first time with like your brain and your style and your sensibility now. So I am dying to know what you thought. Yeah. I mean, it, I, the the interesting thing is like, I've always seen the trailer Mm -hmm. on VHS, like, 
and it, it seemed like this really like forbidden and salacious thing whenever I would see the trailer for it. So it's kind of fascinating to like watch it now. Um, and just with a complete, like you said, with like with a, with having an actual context around it, whereas like so many of the films that I talk about on this podcast, I watched without having any kind of critical context for sure. Um, so but my memories of the trailer have <laughs> definitely endured and like seeing the VHS in uh, like a video, the video store and seeing that uh, Helen Mirren with that amazing lingerie. I'm just going to say like all time t- top five tits in cinema on Helen Mirren. <laughs> well, and I've talked about Caligula on this podcast, so right. she's, right. uh, her boobs have been around here. <laughs> <laughs> and she, yeah, I mean, Helen Mirren, come on. She's so beautiful and sexy, uh, especially in this movie. So I yeah, wanted... Character, I definitely had different feelings about her character upon rewatch when when I rewatched it for this podcast I had some like observations about her character that I think I had back when I used to watch it a lot but I sort of didn't let myself fully sink into that I want to talk to you about more. Oh yeah, let's yeah. get to it. Cool. So the movie was originally targeted for like art house release but it was so critically acclaimed that it was released worldwide and the graphic scatology, um, uh-huh. violence and nude scenes, as well as the lavish cinematography and formalism were noted at the time of its release. Have you seen other Peter Greenway films? I have. I've seen a Z and two knots and I've seen, um, there's one about, Wait, God, I was going to look this up. I feel like there's one about twin gynecologists, but then I'm like, is that Dead Ringers? That's Dead Ringers. What is that? But there, I feel like he also had a movie about twin gynecologists. Maybe, yeah. yeah, I don't know. An amazing double feature. I'm going to look it up. That would be great, yeah. Um, And I know he also did that uh, movie. I want to say it's called The Pillow Book, right? Oh, my God. Yes. Also, so sexy yeah um, that's another one that, i haven't seen but that, i've like, like seen the vhs cover yeah i think you'd like it it is um it's really interesting and yeah that's like from the era where ewan ewan mcgregor was just like full frontal is my brand great yeah, yeah. miss that miss him doing that um yeah. he also had that movie right young adam with Tilda Swinton. Yes. Uh, so that was like, very, yeah, you're very much his thing. <laughs> uh, so he, Peter Greenway is kind of famously influenced by Renaissance and Baroque painting. Yeah, he's a painter, right? Oh, I didn't know that. I think I remember. See, this is like a very good example of my pretentious attraction to him was someone was like, you got to see, I don't remember what the first Peter Greenway movie that I saw was, but I definitely remember like a group of pretentious art fag friends 
being like and you know he's a painter so like that's why everything is like so meticulously composed i was like wow i didn't know you could could do that do you want a blowjob like (laughs) i just really relate to this because i was also such a pretentious kid um good thing we've both grown out of that yeah i mean i'm still incredibly pretentious i have to check myself all the time um so the movie, like I said, was uh, critically acclaimed, but it also prompted some walkouts. Uh, people couldn't take the violence and the scat stuff. Yeah. And uh, also a few critics, you know, hated it, as with anything else. Sure. But it's proliferated kind of a cult following um food artists Bompass and Parr held a scratch and sniff screening in 2009 oh yes which required diners <laughs> what'd you say smell a vision yes like smell a vision and it required diners to be as open-minded as possible in terms of food entertainment and dress One of the most notable things about this movie is the costumes, which were designed by Jean-Paul Gaultier. They're amazing. Yeah, that is a very good example of something that when I first watched it, I was totally attracted to the fetishism of the costuming, but I was still in a like internalized femme phobia internalized misogyny state of my life where i was like n- no i uh, like i was attracted to it but i like suppressed that interest mm. you know and and it, so that was something that felt really great upon rewatch was to be like oh i now and and by the way that's actually something that writing comic books and collaborating with artists on comic books has really taught me is understanding the like visual language of sartorial choices for your characters Mm. and um and like appreciating what designer clothes and fetish clothes can can mean in terms of iconography and also just like the pleasures of aesthetics like and and also like the idea that like adornment and attention to those things is like feminine and therefore superficial and therefore frivolous like i'm just i'm really glad that i am over that yeah that's real yeah um i mean i definitely had a phase where i was like i don't wear makeup i don't do my hair i don't but you know blah 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 whatever yeah so (laughs) i i understand that um, and this film also acknowledges and pays homage to Marco Ferreri's 1973 film, Le Grand Bouffe, in which four men enact a tacit agreement to commit suicide through overeating. Oh, by overeating. Right? Yes. Yes. That one I have seen. Ooh, and I haven't seen that. Oh, it's it's uh it's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> so you should you should watch it. Um, Listen, gluttony is one of my favorite sins, so it's one of the best they're all good, but yeah, it's, good. It's, it's one of the best ones. Um and the film is largely seen as a critique of capitalism and a political and satire. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. political satire directed at Thatcher's England in the nineteen eighties. Totally. So um, now that we've talked about the, the production, let's talk about the, uh, the plot. Sure. 
So the film opens with this really visceral shot of dogs eating raw meat below a parking lot. And we, so we know what we're in for. (laughs) And we pan up to the surface and now we're in this kind of, uh, there's like this red curtain um, and these two people open the curtain and we're at the position of the audience. It's very subtle. We're in the position of an audience watching a play. Um, it's also been proposed that this could be akin to like a vaginal opening. Oh yes. And well, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of stuff about uh, you know, the relationship between the mouth and the ass and the oh, genitals yeah. and the ass, and we're gonna get there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah oh yeah, it's digest- all there. Like sex and digestion and like force feeding. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, immediately, like the first thing that's happening is a man is being stripped and tortured in front of this restaurant called Le Hollande, whatever. I can't pronounce French and is being forced to eat dog shit. It's so funny, too, because the last time that I rewatched this movie before rewatching it for this pod was like, five years ago when I wanted to show it to my partner who uh, is not in, I know is not into horror films, but it, I, in my mind, I was not thinking of this movie as like a, like a violent, upsetting, disturbing, gross movie. I was like... <laughs> that says a lot about you. I know! <laughs> I was like, you gotta check out this like... This art like, film. Really sexy, like weird art film where like colors of outfits change where people go into different rooms. We'll get there. Anyway, so like... <laughs> Uh, and and it opens on that, and she was like, "Huh, <laughs> I'm like very, I'm very upset." And it's you know, it's not, it's not even just like you know, obviously, like force feeding someone, shit is uh, disgusting and and violent, and is really like saying something about the movie that it's starting that way. But it was also just like, wait, you didn't tell me that we were in for i thought that we were like watching like an elegant movie about helen mirren's tits babe you know and i was like but it has that too <laughs> it's both <laughs> and then actually she made me um turn it off really like yeah we got we got like i was like you gotta see this first hookup scene but then i think about an hour in she was like i can't take this anymore and oh I like, and i mean yeah. i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of that is because of the michael gambon character like yes. he's just insufferable the whole movie yes he really is he's really going for it i had to read a little bit on this because i didn't realize that this man that they're torturing in the beginning is roy who's the rightful owner of this restaurant right um i just didn't get that because this is my first watch i'm, I'm sure i missed some things um, yeah, he's colonizing, you know. Right, he's taking over. Yeah. And so he's a gangster. He's a gangster, yes. With a and band of like merry thugs. Vulgar. Uh and you know, he's pretentious too. He like wants to be high class, but and he has so much power that like he intimidates everyone you know, uh, with verbal abuse and physical abuse and threats of violence and everyone just sort of like puts up with him while he like mispronounces French and, uh, it like is, you know, uh, yeah, a disgusting, vile human being. Um, but he has the most money and power. So, yeah. And so, so far we've met Albert Spica, who is, 
uh, the titular thief of the movie. And then we meet his wife, Helen Mirren, Georgina. Yeah, who's looking on bemused, smoking a cigarette. So and many cigarettes. So many cigarettes and like sort of uh, begs Albert to leave this guy alone. And Albert pisses on the man. <laughs> so we're immediately subjected to a lot of human waste. Yeah. Which will always some- go back to this idea of the abject. Mm-hmm. And uh, the writer Tim White has written on on this film as exploring the alimentary canal. Oh yes. The alimentary canal of course describes connects your mouth your to mouth your, your anus. Apple. Yes. Yeah. But in this film the traffic is no longer one way. The routes multiply and veer into unexpected places. Oh my god, that is extremely my jam. My jam. Yeah. And they, they overlap and they're constantly confused in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you were saying, Albert is, he, he's a bully. He's a gangster. He abuses everyone around him, including his wife. He immediately mocks Georgina in this opening scene. Um, and then we get these kind of beautiful panning camera shots where the camera follows Albert, Georgina, and the crew through the back of the restaurant and we see this angelic boy who goes by mm. Pup chopping meat and singing a psalm. And this comes up over and over again in the movie. And the psalm is, have mercy upon me, have mercy upon me, blot out my transgressions, blot out my transgressions. Uh, what do you make of this Pup character? He's got like this bleach blonde white hair and there's always like an angelic spotlight on him. I don't know. That's a, it's a hard one. I don't know. I have I have a sense that maybe it's like, yeah, I mean, he, you just said that he's like singing a psalm and he definitely is like, you know, has the, the very like high choir voice of a boy who has not yet like reached sexual maturity, right? And mm-hmm. so there is this like, angelic quality about him or like innocent quality about him that i i have a feeling is like a part of the like biblical allegory stuff in this movie which is always the least interesting thing to me about any movie just i'm just gonna put that out there yeah i yeah that's especially if it's christianity fair yawn i get it it's the last supper like right more (laughs) More, more fucking, please. more I'm fucking. <laughs> uh, that I respect that. Thank you. <laughs> and Georgina is really drawn to to this character, and like I kind of agree with you. Like this character, the character of Pup is kind of the, mo- the least interesting one to me. Um, and she's drawn to him and kind of just soaking in the beauty of the, his voice. And Albert, of course, has to diminish the moment by tossing him a coin. Yeah. Um, the richness of him, of the richness of Albert is really contrasted with the drudgery of the kitchen staff in this scene. Yes. And we meet Richard Borscht, the cook, who is plucking a duck. And... Albert wants him to stop and tend to his needs, but Richard refuses. So their relationship is automatically set up. Richard is kind of the only person Albert cannot dominate. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's always standing up to him. It's, Love that it. has always been really interesting to me. Yes. And Albert tries to, if I'm 
right here illuminate this new neon sign that says Spica and Borscht. Yeah. But it causes the power to go out. Right. And Richard mocks it, saying that his brother owns a fairground and maybe the sign can go there. Oh, my gosh. And because the power is now out, Richard is proposing all these cold dishes that could be served. And this is when we see that Albert cannot even pronounce the names of them. Right. He's a fraud. Total fraud. So Albert's fraudulence has largely been analyzed as a critique of the English middle class in the 1980s, who embraced conservatism as a way to uh, maintain class mobility in this highly classist society and sort of used um, like earthly material pleasures as a way to ignore the social issues that were going on. Totally. Yeah, and just like the the decadence, you know, okay, I have a story. Um, I'm going to make fun of my father. Um, <laughs> uh, my, my dad dated uh, a very, so my dad grew up uh, working class Jew in Brooklyn. And um, uh, when he was like in his 50s, he dated this extremely wealthy woman. Uh, she was a lawyer and she just, she was a very, very decadent and generous woman. Um, and uh, she loved wine as many uh, wealthy people do. And uh, she would order these like, you know, bottles of wine that cost as much as my rent. And, you know, it made me very uncomfortable whenever I was uh, spending time with them. But my dad was like, yes, I deserve this. Like, you know, uh, like fucking asshole. And, um, but he would always... <laughs> Love the dad bashing. <laughs> Listen, I'm, uh, <laughs> this seems like the right space for it. It is. Um, <laughs> so he, um, he would, but, the, and uh, as... <laughs> I, I hate to uh, praise my dad, but uh, this is actually something that I'm very uh, fond of, is that he would, like, just toss back these glasses of wine. And and his uh, girlfriend was always uh, horrified, and she would say, you're quaffing the wine, <laughs> right? And my dad was like, what does quaffing mean? And I would be like, it means quaff means to it's french for drink and my dad was like i'm drinking it <laughs> like it's for it's wine so i'm drinking it and mary you know his uh i shouldn't say her name um uh, uh his his girlfriend um you know was like no but you you have to like savor it and enjoy it because it's like a work of art and he was like well i am enjoying it you know and they would so would always have these fights about quaffing and 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 even though it was um uh you know uh wasteful and arrogant i also kind of appreciated that he was like i will not be classed up like right i am just gonna like enjoy the pleasures of this but you know in in that way uh i can now come back around to um comparing my father to this um monstrous gangster who gets what he deserves in this movie so there you go it all we circled back around to bashing so yeah so albert uh is a, a quaffer yes yes yeah he has no um real appreciation 
of anything around him. But he but he values it. Right. And, and needs to be surrounded by it for the status. Right. He has no real, yeah, no real appreciation of it. Right. And this is the point in the movie where I started to notice that there are so many people in each scene. Totally. And the shots remind me, of course, of Renaissance paintings of The Last Supper. But more than The Last Supper, I mean, I was thinking about paintings like uh, that depict the lesser depicted scene, biblical scene of Feast in the House of Levi, which is always a lot more chaotic than last supper scenes uh georgina corrects albert's pronunciation and he hits her in the face with a menu yeah so uh that's kind of tough stuff yeah it's hard and this brings up another theme in the film of the written word being utilized Mm. as a tool of violence oh my god yes that's why i didn't realize that with the menu right over and over we get the 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 written word just being kind of reappropriated in this really v- horrible way. Totally. Um, like, again, Richard is the only person who can really speak to Albert candidly. He tells him to his face that he has no taste and that he's empty inside. Uh, there are all so these- why do you think he can get away with that? Do you think it's because he, Albert, needs him to prepare these dishes and this atmosphere so that he can have that status and so for that reason he allows him to uh you know basically say the emperor has no clothes yes i do i think that that's it i think it's and it's also like if you notice the cook richard is the one of the only people and him and michael are the only people whose clothes don't change in the movie Mm -hmm. so they're both very secure in themselves like they don't ever change from situation to situation they are who they are and are comfortable with that and i feel like richard i think albert almost kind of looks up to him in a it's lot of ways. It's actually kind of an incredible portrait of how, I don't want to say like how to deal with an abuser, but like if you think about what you just said, that when people are very secure and centered, that this like abusive man doesn't affect them, although he actually does, which we will get to. So maybe it that is also... Um, being portrayed that like even if you can withstand a lot of that abuse that um ultimately if it's allowed to be unchecked it will affect you oh yeah that's a great point and i think it's also a kind of snide commentary on uh it's just like how french people in general are viewed (laughs) as like the arbiters of taste right well he's also an artist right like he's he's the true the cook in this film is is the true artist. Yes. And I mean, even to call him a cook is sort of a misnomer. Like he's the chef. Totally. Um, it's kind of like a cheeky, you know, misnomer. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's also supposed to be kind of funny, you know, kind of how like low class, quote unquote, low class people will just kind of defer to yeah. people that they see as being more knowledgeable than them. Yeah. Um, and it's like the, you know, just fetishization of the French in general. <laughs> um, 
so there's a lot of shots of food as well um that are so much like dutch still lives and of course i have to think of uh the concept of memento mori and uh you know that kind of cheeky little reminder that the dutch put in their still life paintings of like the um fleetingness of life and uh you know we will rot just like this food eventually uh yeah and the food will turn to shit eventually it it all turns to shit yep (laughs) and the Roy, the man who is being beaten outside, comes in and Richard helps him clean off. And it's this kind of very like biblical moment. Huh, yeah. Um, of like a a higher, a, a, a saint kind of like tending to a beggar. Um, now we see the restaurant for the first time and everything is so red. And yes. there's that Rembrandt painting huge on the wall. And this is when I started to notice that the color of everyone's clothes was changing as soon as they changed rooms. Oh my god, that is my shit. I love that. Yeah, like the group of thugs. They were before they were wearing um blue sashes, then green, then red, and much has been written on this this is like i think the first thing that people always talk about when they talk about this movie uh, it's just so it's so audacious and just to be clear if people haven't seen the movie it's not like people have the same outfit and they change from like scene to scene it's like they're walking and there's a lot of like tracking shots of people walking through the restaurant as if through the is it the alimentary canal? I'm yes. Sure yeah. The alimentary canal, right? So they're like walking and it and it's like following them as if it's all one shot. But then they walk into another room and they're wearing the same clothes. Like their clothes are the same silhouettes. It's the same outfit, but it's a different color. Yes. And, the, and those colors contrast with the colors of the room in different ways. And it's just so, I find it like, so delightful and there are definitely moments especially with helen mirren where it just makes me gasp yes well her clothes are really emotional about it it's like you're seeing someone complete like you're seeing their 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 state of mind or their the state of their emotions change from uh room to room and and it it, it's gorgeous i love it yeah and has anybody else like has somebody needs to rip that off Maybe it'll be me. It'll be you. Yeah. I feel like I haven't seen something exactly like that in film. Um, Yeah, I can't think of anything. Like, as soon as now as we hang up, I'll think of something. But I... It almost gives it... Because it's not not magical realism, but it gives the movie a sense of almost um, fabulism, right? Like, not like supernatural, but like, like a heightened... Like, the style is so heightened, it almost makes it a magical movie. Right. And I've, I've, what I was reading is that a lot of people consider this to be postmodern, like calling or, attention. I, or surrealist. Or surrealist, yeah, like calling attention to the making of the thing. And this, I mean, this movie is quite meta in a lot yeah. of ways. So yeah. I feel and like. It opens with a fucking curtain exactly. vaginal curtain <laughs> yeah, a vaginal curtain yeah exactly uh and each 
uh, part, like this movie really until the end takes place in the restaurant um, and the parking lot is blue. The kitchen is jungle green. The dining room is a deep red and the bathrooms are this clinical white. Oh, bathrooms. Okay, we'll get there. Oh, yeah. And (laughs) each space kind of stains the other spaces like their repeated shots from the the open doorway of the kitchen into the dining room and vice versa. And the red light of the dining room leaks into the bathroom. So it disrupts the purity of that space. Yeah. Um, And they all it's kind of like how the alimentary canal is like everything is mixed up like the (laughs) everything is mashed together like try as we might as a society to sort of separate everything into its neat little boxes everything will always fuck up (laughs) yeah yeah and albert immediately like won't shut the fuck up true uh georgina notices a quiet man sitting alone reading who's obviously like the antithesis of albert yeah and they make eye contact Okay, wait. Before we get into the cruising, I, I do need to, I do need to ask: Are you a Harry Potter person? I am not a huge fan, but I've read all the books, seen all the movies. Okay, so I am. I have a very stupid reason for not being into Harry Potter, which is that when Harry Potter became really popular, I was like, "You've got to be fucking kidding me!" My entire childhood, I was made fun of for loving magical kid stories and now this is like the most mainstream popular thing in the world so like i that that is that is my stupid enduring reason that i hate harry potter however (laughs) i do need to say i do need to point out uh for folks listening to this because most people love harry potter so most people will be excited to note that this horrible man that we are describing this like monstrous gangster is played by the actor who plays Dumbledore. It's fucking Dumbledore. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So it's like, you know, if you want to see if you want your childhood ruined by <laughs> uh Dumbledore being uh, you know, an abusive uh gangster with uh, you know, full head of black hair, uh this is your this is your film. This is it for you. Well, I'm glad I met someone else who isn't a fan of Harry Potter. I am. I also am so glad. Yeah, I am the biggest killjoy on earth. My <laughs> Tinder for a minute was like, I don't care about the officer Harry Potter because I was just <laughs> so tired of trying to talk about it with people. Oh my God, those are two things to not care about. Oh my goodness, just couldn't um, care less. Um, Harry Potter is whatever. It's anti-Semitic. That's just, <laughs> I'm just putting my putting it out there. Um, um, but yes, um, this is um, this is the Dumbledore I prefer. Absolutely, he, that says a lot because he's hard to watch. This. Um, and he has this great line kind of immediately, which is "Money is my business, eating's my pleasure, and Georgie is my pleasure too." Though of a more private kind than stuffing the mouth and feeding the sewers, though the pleasures are related, because the naughty bits and the dirty bits are so close together, it just goes to show you how sex and eating are related. So it's, it's really and his all of his line deliveries. I mean, I love. Um, I'm a sucker for that. Uh, well, that is you know the other thing is that so I lived in England for a year, uh, I, so I know a thing or two about 
uh, English accents. And like, that's another thing about the class in this movie is that he is like so obsessed with being refined and decadent and high class, but he has a very working class English accent. Right. Yes. I noticed that as well. Uh, even not knowing a thing about English accents, I can but I'm, recognize. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a total uh, sucker for uh, line readings with that sort of, um, uh, yeah, like he just seems like he is um, going to pick your pocket, which is, you know, he's a thief. So anyway, um, so l- back to the cruising. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, just one more thing, like he is this really crude character, but if you analyze his dialogue, it's actually really amazing and almost kind of Shakespearean in some ways. Totally. So it's, and he, I mean, he's really kind of the narrator of this whole thing. Um, Yeah, no, that's a good point. Like, even when he is being awful, he's being artfully awful. And you're right, it is kind of Shakespearean. He's like, yeah, he's like a, a Shakespearean, or like Marlowe like villain where... yeah I mean he's just orating yeah totally constantly. Um, so they're cruising right yeah so so Michael is the name of, of this guy in like a very dowdy brown suit who is sitting and reading which of course is like another reason that I love this movie is like the sexy guy in the movie who gets to spoiler alert fuck Helen Mirren's brains out over and over <laughs> it's like not that hot no. I mean I don't know he's like he's w- whether or not you're like attracted to him he's definitely like presented as like dowdy and bookish and he's like a little tubby and pale and um and he's just like he does something that I do all the time which is he's like reading and he like gets a fork full of food and then like <laughs> drops the he like by the time the fork gets to his mouth he's dropped the food but he doesn't notice because he's reading that is 100% me so if Helen Mirren was cruising me while I was doing that that would be like my ultimate fantasy oh god I wish uh and Richard you know he kind of the cook kind of denigrates Albert's palate and praises Georgina's so we automatically get that Richard you know, likes Georgina and does not like Albert. Yes. Georgina goes to the bathroom, which is this (laughs) right, this pristine kind of white bathroom. Her clothes have changed, so now she's in white. Um, It's been suggested that the way that the colors of Georgina's clothing change indicates how she conforms to whatever situation she's in. Yeah, which she she has to do as a survival strategy. Right. She's not her own person right now. Totally. Totally. And also the nature of her clothes, like straps, corsets, things that constrict you. Totally. Uh, the quiet man, Michael, follows her in. I love how she's he just knows. Yeah, he, he's yeah. yeah, and then she, um, f- and then fo- she follows him out of the bathroom, and her clothes are red again. Yeah, she returns to the table. Albert is ranting about a stripper who got a canker sore from a toilet seat. Yeah, and yeah. Georgina just can't take it, and she goes back to the bathroom, saying she forgot her lighter. And this is when her and Michael have their first tryst in the bathroom. Yeah. So, okay. So this, it's so, is so hot to me. And 
Like, there's obviously the classic pornographic setup of the danger of being caught. Um, there is so much tension because by now in the movie, it's not that far into the movie, but you you understand so clearly that her husband would murder people for or or mutilate or or abuse people for much much less than stripping his wife right? right so like um the the fact that she is hooking up with a stranger in the bathroom of the restaurant that he owns when she's just like gone to the loo for like how much time do they reasonably have but so that just like speaks to the intensity of her lust and her need to escape and also the power of the connection that that georgina and michael have made through their cruising Mm -hmm. and 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 so the cruising of the like making eye contact across the room and then making subtle gestures towards like i'll meet you in the bathroom combined with sex in a public bathroom to me is just like this is a queer sex scene that is queer. yes i don't i don't care and you know and i i'm like retconning a little bit like i always get confused by like things that really turned me on when i was young that are super straight Mm -hmm. um but actually my friend laura westengard who i recently had i was just gonna say yeah why are people into that to talk about her book gothic queer culture which is like so up your alley i know i cannot wait to read it it's my next book on my list she has this wonderful analysis that i has like validated like my entire life of pop culture boners uh, like where that basically like the analysis that i just gave that like the context of this scene for like me as a young queer person like the things that are hot about it don't have anything to do with the heterosexuality of it right it it all has to do with this context of cruising and public spaces and illicit sex and the forbidden and um and also sex with a stranger and there is just this beautiful way that they go into the bathroom stall and he is like all about making out and she and and then uh, and that he gets up in the bath. Okay, so wait, uh, somebody comes into the bathroom. Is it Albert? Well, this he comes into the bathroom. Such a tense scene. This is such a tense scene. Yeah, he uh, well, he gets up. Uh, Michael like stands up, or Helen Mirren has him stand on top of the toilet so she can give him a blowjob. Right. So I, I can't. I'm trying to remember the sequence of events. I feel like he stands up on the toilet because somebody comes into the bathroom because albert comes into the bathroom twice oh yeah so i feel like maybe it's a woman that comes into the bathroom i think so yeah up on the toilet and she's just like immediately like starts unzipping his pants and like the shot is in this um you know tiny bathroom stall she's he's standing on the toilet she's standing up and it's from the back of her head so it's so explicit even though you don't you don't see anything, but you really see, like, my head is totally bobbing right now. You yes. would see her head bobbing, and you just see that she wants that fucking dick in her mouth. Yes. And, like, uh, it's, uh, th- there's something, yeah, there's also something so 
gay about that to me. Um, and but really, no sooner, and it's, there's just so much lust. Yes, and I, I just feel like that is so rare in movies, even in 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 movie sex scenes. There is just this like like chemistry and like raw animal lust between them that I am obsessed with. And it only, I remember the scene as going on forever, but it goes on for like 10 seconds. It's so tense and hot. And And then, and so then fucking Albert storms into the women's restroom. So we've also got this element of like gender in restrooms, which I, you know, I'd right. love to read somebody's paper on that. Um, but he storms in and he is like, what are you doing? And she is so fucking smart. She starts smoking, which he disapproves of. Right. And her hands are shaking. And I think she's got like these like satin gloves and she like, um, like, uh, uh, oh, she asks him, he thinks he's caught her in a lie, but her lighter is on the counter. I'm sorry, I should have rewatched it to remember. There's just like this this whole like meticulously plotted scene where he keeps almost catching her and she keeps outsmarting him and she like lights a cigarette because she knows that he disapproves of her smoking, but however much he disapproves of her smoking, it's nowhere near as much consequences there's going to be if he catches her with a dick in her mouth. So like, and then he threatens to come in and she starts like berating him for like being in the women's restroom. And she's like, get out of here, get out of here. I'll be right back. And then starts making out with, oh boy, again. And then um, like by accident by coincidence she walks out first and he and albert has been hiding in the other stall yes so he keeps almost fucking catching so he her. almost catches them again yeah and Ugh. well also i have to note helen mirren's lingerie first of all oh, oh please please yes it's so hot like her see-through lace it's like, yeah, bra. It's like sheer yes like mesh yes so good fucking feather fascinator yes how long has it taken me to mention this feather (laughs) and of course and it's like four different colors of leather fascinator yes every room she goes into it's amazing i mean like the costumes are their like own character in this movie totally um and also like there's the fact that they're in a women's restroom is queer um super queer yeah she, she like goes to like blow michael again and he does this like quite sweet thing where he like gather he's like enjoying the blowjob but then he like gathers her face in his hands to like kiss her and he like kisses you know i just i love a like post oral sex kiss yes you know he's also like i love that you want to blow me but also like i want to kiss your face yes so and there's a romance between them right from the beginning too they have like a connection and it's uh so hot and beautiful yeah and michael has not spoken once yeah that's right that's right um also hot so hot yes (laughs) nothing hotter than a man shutting up (laughs) just just shut up and kiss the dick off my red lip red lipstick face Um, so albert like also tries to rape georgina in the bathroom um 
after this it really kind of contrasts with like what a consensual sexual encounter looks like versus what she has to go through every day yeah it's tough stuff and there's there is and we've talked about like the human waste there's definitely like allusions at several points to him uh unconsensually like pissing on her or or like whatever it's uh, well in the bathroom again is there's like a lot of scatological associations because every time we go back to the bathroom in this movie we're reminded of how we all shit after we eat true um and just it could throughout the the movie as we'll get there like you know georgina is using the bathroom as an excuse to see michael so again, yeah. all of the lines of the body, all the abject things that the body does are all getting confused and muddled together. Yeah. So Albert uh, is... Oh, okay. So the next scene, uh, it's all demarcated by these menu title cards. Oh, yes. Uh, it's Friday. And every time it's a new day in the restaurant, we see the, the menu of the day. Uh, Albert is making Mitchell, one of his associates, eat sheep's balls. And that's the Tim Roth character, right? Tim Roth, yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah. And he's struggling not to puke. So sexuality, consumption, and waste are getting, again, getting all confused here. Vomiting. Right. Albert spouts off a bunch of ignorant racist comments while he examines fancy silverware that he wants to buy for the restaurant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, uh... This is also a commentary on the racism of the conservative class. Totally. Everyone's outfit is changes except Michael and the cook. Uh, Michael's always wearing brown. The cook is always wearing white. What do we think of that? Well, they're just, I mean, I, to Michael just seems like, a, like I've said, like this bookish, dowdy, intellectual mousy guy who is also like constant and true right and brown is of course shit so i feel like we're right that's that also has to be part of it um and it's again like kind of it's confusing everything because he this person who is this kind of sexual being in the movie is in the colors of shit god i am so happy to say that uh you're blowing my mind i hadn't thought about that yay so so nice but i'm like that's a mark of honor (laughs) (laughs) I uh, i hadn't thought about that it's interesting to think about like what because michael represents liberation and freedom right for georgina but also somebody who is nurturing and caring and kind you know he has this this like soft masculinity right and but is also totally virile Right. Yeah. And I mean, Ed shuts shit. the fuck up, you know? Right. And is shit is literally associated with sexuality in this movie. So, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, the white that the, that 
Richard wears is uh, white is always like purity. And, you know, we kind of take for granted that he is like the pure one in this situation. And yet we'll see at the end that he is not so much. Uh, So Georgina and Michael meet in the back of the uh, back of the kitchen and uh, everything's green now. And Georgina and Michael fuck in the kitchen pantry. So great. And again, Georgina is wearing this great lingerie. And there's is that the, and she she uh, learns the most important slut rule, which is that you gotta wear your panties over your garter belt, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and it's their sex scene is interspersed with these shots of cooks chopping vegetables. Um, and so Albert, they almost get caught again because Albert enters the kitchen. He starts tasting food and criticizing it. And Michael and Georgina are scrambled to get dressed. Uh, Richard tells Albert that this amazing cutlery he supposedly bought is poor quality. So again, we see Albert does not know what good quality is. Yeah. Georgina and Michael are back at their respective tables and Albert knocks Michael's book off his table. Uh, so he's automatically got this like disdain for him and Albert starts to have this weird conversation about human milk and how restaurants should sell human milk. (laughs) And this is a clue to how Albert's proclivities are essentially like stuck in the anal stage of development. Ah, yes. He's a baby. Yeah, he is. He's a big baby. Yep. And he cries about him and Georgina not having had children. Ah, yes. Albert brutalizes Mitchell uh, and for questioning him or for, you know, attempting to question him. And Georgina tries to leave the restaurant, but Albert intercepts her and leaves with her because he's a baby and he can't be without her. Without his mommy. Yep. And he's ranting about how it's their anniversary tomorrow. And he throws Michael's book off the table again. He has a disdain for knowledge, but also a thirst for it. Yeah. And back in the kitchen, Albert menaces Pup. He's drunk. He's losing his grip on everything. He drags Pup and Georgina outside and tries to assault Georgina in front of the child. Uh, And then when he sees that she's not wearing any knickers... He's very upset and he shoves both her and the boy in the car. Um, Yeah, tough stuff. Tough, yes. I mean, I'm like, why is this movie controversial? (laughs) I wonder why. (laughs) And I mean, I guess like Pup is also there to sort of uh, emphasize Albert's brutality because he like brutalizes this kid in a few different scenes um so the next day is saturday michael and georgina are having sex again in the kitchen among the cheeses and who who wouldn't want to who wouldn't want to i mean honestly okay like there's all this great food around (laughs) uh the kitchen staff are ignoring georgina's out and out and uh, michael's trysts and Richard well, they're is like they're they're ignoring it, or it's almost just kind of like either this is perfectly natural. Is that's always the way that I've read it? Like they don't seem uncomfortable. No. Um. Or they're like, 
we fucking hate this guy so much that we totally understand why his <laughs> wife would want to fuck this librarian dude. Uh, and we've got this big old kitchen, so like, here, fuck on the go kitchen. for it. Yeah, it's also like so French. It's like, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> it's in our cheeses. Yeah, right. Exactly. Sex and, and food. Like, what else is there? And Richard is actively hiding them. Like, he's actively an accomplice. Yes. Um, and. Georgina returns to her table and that's when we see that she has all these bruises on her face and arms from Albert beating her. Yeah. And the men all stare at her. And, you know, of course, that's the complicity of men in that scene. Yes. Um, Albert goes to the men's room and screams about how disgusting it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's extremely pristine. Yeah. So that's odd. And menaces the other patrons in the restroom. Albert accosts Michael again for a reading in the restaurant and taunts him to come meet his wife. This is a very interesting scene because this is the first time Michael speaks. Yes. And Albert forces Michael to come to his table and meet everyone. And he also interrogates Michael on if he's Jewish or not. It's, it's so weird. It's so weird. I mean, we're both Jews. So I guess I was wondering, what do we think of this? Is this just supposed to... I mean, the 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 inherent, like, coding of intellectualism with Jewishness is interesting. Totally. And the, I guess, I guess going back to that idea of a, of, of a man who is in, in many ways has like a softer, masculinity but still has this virility that is threatening mm. um That's i very feel jewish. like it's kind of jewish yeah no totally um and all yeah I, I mean but it's it's also just like you know you were talking about the racism i i feel like this film is definitely just like piling on like uh he beats and rapes his wife he uh, like abuses little kids like there's you know he's anti-semitic he's racist mm -hmm. like he you know he fucking tortures people there's just like nothing that he won't do right but what's interesting to me about the jewish thing is like they keep referring to michael as the jew for the yeah. rest of the movie yeah and that was just interesting to me. That like inherent association of learnedness, yeah, with the Jewishness. Um, even though Michael says he's not Jewish, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't come across as particularly Jewish, either. right? But yeah, no, I mean, I think that you just said it that that um, that the association of. <sighs> Yeah, of, of learnedness and of, I mean, as we'll continue to see, Michael is so associated with books. Right. 
So Albert makes Georgina kind of like enumerate on all the nice things that she has. And this kind of shows how he sees her on a possession as a possession. Yeah. Like he's making her say out loud all of the nice things that she gets from Albert. And in an act of resistance, she starts talking about how she has a good gynecologist <laughs> and she's had three, three abortions. Oh God. Yeah. And that is very telling that her act of resistance spe- specifically has to do with her vagina. Well, and her and her like reproductive capacity, because doesn't she say like my insides are scrambled or something yes. like that? Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, like uh, the the idea of like the 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 inside of the body and um, the functions of the body uh you know, being, being perverted or being, uh, being ruined, like what the anxiety is about, like, you know, not, not having a functioning womb. Right. And she just like casts that to the wind and, you know, it it goes against all decorum. And yeah. And she seems pretty, she seems pretty chill. Yeah. She doesn't give a fuck. (laughs) And Michael says that he's a gynecologist. Right. right. Uh, So they're like having their secret little moment, even in front of Albert. And it's hot. Yeah. And Albert is pissed off. Uh, And Georgina also says she's safe for a good screw because she can't have children. Right. So that's also kind of her way of telling Michael, like, don't worry that we haven't been using protection. (laughs) Uh, So Albert dismisses Michael out of rage. He drags Georgina out of the restaurant and into the kitchen and screams at her about talking about her gynecologist. Uh, Georgina taunts Albert and he begins beating her again and drags her outside and the dogs follow them. So now it's Sunday at the restaurant again. This is when I started to be like, what does everybody do during the day in this movie? (laughs) Like, what are their... It's off, I hope. What are are their daytime lives? Uh, There's even more people at the table now. There's a lot of panning shots of this table that shows... We're at a table of degenerates, small-time crooks, shady characters. Georgina goes to the bathroom again, but of course is actually to fuck Michael in a room full of dead birds and feathers. Of course. And she tells him explicitly never call her Georgie, because that's what Albert calls her. Totally. And there's also this really meta conversation that they have um, about main characters in film not speaking. <laughs> Like, (laughs) Michael says he saw a movie where for the first half hour, the main character didn't say a word. It's so good. And I also, it's also a moment of, like, joy and humor because, you know, he says something about, like, oh, as soon as the character opened his mouth, I wasn't interested anymore. And Georgina says, well, now that you've opened your mouth, you're not going to be interested in me. And And he says it was only a film. Uh, so, it so su- it's very sweet pillow yes. talk, and they do they have great chemistry. They do, yeah, and they're they all they also in their sex scenes embrace the scenery around them, yeah, like incorporate it into their sex almost like the feathers in this scene or yeah, just it's almost like a bed. Um, um does is this a scene where she says? 
I'm getting better at sex. Oh, not yet. Not okay, yet. Okay. But I love that one. <laughs> I know. I love it too. <laughs> and uh, yeah, again, so like very meta, much like how Dutch Baroque paintings are very meta. Mm. Uh, meanwhile, Albert's table is like bickering with each other. Um, Albert violently ejects another group from their table because they're blocking the floor show stage. And he pours food all over one of the men, brutalizes him, and everyone runs out of the restaurant. So one of the women from Albert's table is having, like, a tryst with a, with another man from the table. Okay, so that that man, do you know who that actor is? No. Okay, so that actor is Ian Drury, who is a, like legendary in some circles punk musician he had polio as a kid and you can see the actor um uh you you know you can see that he's disabled in in the film as well and like he was just this like raunchy punk singer um who also like spoke out against the way that disabled people were treated in thatcher's england and amazing yeah he's really great uh sex and drugs and rock and roll is one of his songs um there's this other song called hit me with your rhythm stick like i said he was just like super um he he was he's like right at home in this movie that's so cool yeah anyway so ian drury that's great that's his band and there's so this this woman is having this tryst with ian drury she's really hot she is hot, yes. She's a like cold-hearted hooker. Yeah, right? totally, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, because he, he's like he's like, do you? He's basically like, do you get money for the powder room? You know, and yep. she's she's like, whatever. He buys me dinner, right? And then he's like, just dinner, and she's like, okay, well. Doesn't he? Is, me- he has a line like, um, like, doesn't he? Does he buy you lunch and then? buy you a bottle of gin to for so you can forget the taste of your lunch or something. Yeah, something like that. Like that. The yeah. This movie is really fucking funny. Yeah, I mean I I definitely have to watch it again because it's impossible to catch all the little uh pieces of dialogue like all the little turns of phrase and everything. Yeah. Uh but she's so she's basically, you know, she's f- fucking a john in this yeah, scene. She's, she, but she's She's a cold. She's a cold-hearted hooker, and she is the first one to be like, "Yeah, it's really, really obvious that Georgina is fucking this dude." Right. Yep. She's like real, recognize real. Uh. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And as she's fucking her John very disinterestedly, she yeah. sees uh, Michael and Georgina fucking in the kitchen. And she laughs and, uh, you know, it distracts her John and he gets kind of pissed off. And Georgina and Michael part ways. And this woman tells her boyfriend, not her John, (laughs) that she's earning them money and that uh, she's found another way that she's going to earn them money. So very cryptic. So now it's Monday and Michael wants to meet outside the restaurant. This is the scene. And... Georgina says it's better to do it right under Albert's nose. And then she reveals the hottest lingerie ever. (laughs) 
and she takes off her feather kind of cape and she's got on this just amazing like bustier uh garter situation no panties <laughs> and, and this wait what year is the tour that Jean-Paul Gaultier did the is it the Madonna Truth or Dare tour is that oh, right oh yes yeah I feel like that's 87 yes it was so before this, like, this yeah that's like that era yeah and he yeah, also so the, like conical bras are happening here right and he also was designing clothes that were specifically like supposed to make you feel like you ate too much like everything was supposed to be like restricting and fetishy um and she is finding georgina is finding these ways to dress that are brilliant and unique ways to fuck michael more conveniently in the restaurant (laughs) so she and it, she it's says an interesting strategy that she like reveal because up until this point you're like girl this are you you must just be like getting off on the danger of this but then she kind of has a good point that he is so controlling but such a blowhard that like doing it right under his nose is maybe the best strategy right (laughs) yes i mean i think it's both yeah and now her clothing isn't if you notice her clothing isn't really changing anymore because she has more agency Mm. and she also you know says like that she's getting better at dressing for michael and you know she says aren't i getting better at it yeah aren't i michael and it's just really hot it's really hot yeah but she's also like seeking it's not like she's seeking validation uh that's not the way i see it i see it as her being like she wants to be seen yeah and she's gaining confidence and she's also like it's 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 very sassy yeah she wants to be seen for who she is and um there's a lot uh in this movie about georgina needing like a witness like Mm. someone to really see what she's going through and who she is because that's the funny thing is that they are it's simultaneously a sneaking around fetish but it's also exhibitionism yes because they're fucking in front of like their full kitchen kitchen is enormous and there are a lot of people back there yep and they are just like we are not getting everybody's consent we are just fucking in front of all of you all the time yep so the cold-hearted hooker reveals to albert that georgina is fucking that jew uh and albert stabs her in the face with a fork again she's yeah the just the beginning of um people becoming meat yes yes the confusion of violence and food yeah um albert is reaching his apex of violence and he runs to the bathroom screaming georgina's name um richard warns georgina and michael and tries to hide them while they're stark naked he puts them in the freezer oh god so rough (laughs) so rough and albert demands richard to tell him where his wife is georgina and michael are trying to keep each other warm in the freezer 
Albert is tearing apart the kitchen. Everything is in chaos. And Richard ushers the couple out of the freezer and into the back of a truck of rotting animal carcasses. It's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. And Georgina kind of like resists because it's horrible and disgusting. But the men force her in. And it's truly truly heinous because Georgina and Michael's naked bodies are getting like covered with grime and what you imagine to be maggots and it's almost like uh you know not to harp on the biblical themes here but it's kind of like an Adam and Eve being expelled from the garden kind of thing like interesting because the kitchen is like the garden I mean it's green and lush and bountiful and they're being kicked and that's where they were you know being able to enjoy each other and now they're being kicked out um yeah i mean i just see it as like a reminder that we're all meat yes and like you were saying about um uh about like the reminder of mortality right it's like even as you're like taking this this pleasure that seems like so urgent that you'd be willing to risk everything in order to have this like experience of the flesh. Mm-hmm. Like one day maggots are going to eat you. Yep. All of us. Yep. All of us. <laughs> so Mike, Georgina and Michael get hosed off by the very nice truck driver. <laughs> and Michael brings her to the book depository where he lives and works. Yeah. And they're still awesome. naked. The scene is really beautiful. I love the window and the bed covered in yeah. books. I mean, listen, if there's one thing that I want to fuck on top of more than a bunch of decadent food, it's a bunch of musty old books. Yes. And quote me on that. And, and Georgina even says to Michael, like, you know, what do you do? You read all the books in here? Like, why are you so obsessed oh, with she books? She says you can't eat them. You can't eat them. Yeah. Oh, oh, dramatic irony. Yeah, I know. Yes, um, and also kind of shows how the eating and the respite of the restaurant is the only time that Georgina gets to be away from Albert's cruelty. Like, food has become a, a refuge for her. Right. Um. So it's Tuesday now, and Georgina and Michael are being brought food by Pup, who gives them kind of news of what's going on at the restaurant. But on his way back, this is really awful. Albert and Mitchell accost the boy. Yeah. And Mitchell is like kind of almost borderline molesting him. Yeah. Um, and Albert rips Pup's buttons off and makes him eat them. Yeah. And then cuts out his belly button. Which is like a defunct source for ingesting food right. and makes him eat it. Right. So, yeah, a lot of force feeding happens in this movie. Force feeding of things you're not supposed to eat. Yeah. Um, and Albert sees where the books that Pop were ca- was carrying were from. So now he knows where they are. Uh, Richard brings the couple more food and he tells them that Pup is in the hospital and Georgina insists on leaving to see him. She's wearing nothing but her feather cape from before. And she kind of processes in this like biblical way in the hospital with a food offering to Pup. And the hospital is yellow. The book depository is brown. Mm. I think we know Ah. (laughs) we're going with that. (laughs) So... Albert and his thugs show up at the book depository and they force feed Michael book pages and it's really gruesome. It's so sad. 
and Albert says that he could understand if Georgina had an affair with a younger guy, but he's particularly insulted that this man is as old as him. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. It's kind of like what I was saying in the beginning is that this is not, this is not a movie about, because I mean, listen, Helen Mirren is like, I don't actually even know off the top of my head how old she is in this movie. I want to say 40. Mm-hmm. And definitely see, looks like she's in her 40s. Uh, she is ageless. There right. are like billboards of her all around the city right now with Ian McKellen, which is like, I don't care how good or bad that movie is. Of course, I want to watch Helen Mirren and Ian McKellen. Yes. Weird movie. But like, uh, she is an incredibly beautiful woman and she's, you know, We've talked about her clothes a lot, but it's not just the clothes. Like, it is a talent to wear clothes well. Mm -hmm. She wears all of these clothes so incredibly. And, like, as they start, uh, you know, when she's in various states of undress, she has so much poise and confidence in her body. And, you know, contrasted with this, like, you know, like, vile man i mean michael gambon is not like you know i think he's like handsome in his own way but he's definitely like not um uh portrayed as like handsome or debonair he's portrayed as like you know an absolute like wearing like yeah. expensive clothes but he's a slob right, right? um so the, yeah it's not even about it's funny that that albert says that it's about age because it's kind of not really even about age it's like it's not like she is like stepping out with some like incredibly like handsome man younger or not like he is you know it like albert cannot see the value in this man yep he doesn't uh understand that it's uh not about material things or appearances or superficial things yes exactly yeah um michael, so yeah super sad it always it really does make me super sad yeah because michael dies michael yeah. yeah and from in a horrible horrible manner yeah and back at the restaurant albert is eating crayfish and you know he's talking about how it all comes out of shit in the end and he says he really wants Georgina to find Michael's body because this is a revenge killing. And he wants people to know. He wants, when the police come, he wants them to know it's a revenge killing. Um, and not, not, not subtle. Not subtle at all. Georgina finds Michael's body and she removes the book pages from his mouth and sees that it was a book about the French Revolution. I don't even know what to make of that, to be it's honest. It's like... It almost seems to me like doesn't make sense, but it's also so heavy handed in a way like because we're talking anytime, you know, people want to talk about class struggle. You always got to talk about the French Revolution. I guess it's it's let them eat cake, right? Yes, exactly. And uh, also Albert at the restaurant says the French Revolution was easier to swallow than Napoleon. Oh, my God. Uh, And. Georgina in a very which was my this was my favorite scene of the movie um goes to sleep next to Michael's corpse oh, and it's, it's yeah it's, it's sad. really sad and she, she says also, like talks about like the specifics of of 
Albert's abuse. Yes. And well, first she goes to, she tells him, I have a lot to tell you in the morning. So she's like planning on telling the corpse. Right. And she, and then she says when she wakes up, she wants him to kiss her and she wants a nice breakfast. Mm. And it's notable that this is the only time in the movie that food is truly described for pleasure, for pleasure's sake. Mm. As and it's a, a meal that she's describing that is like simple but would be like hearty and filling and nourishing and nourishing yeah exactly just like this relationship was yeah oh. I know it's it's moving <laughs> it really is well also there's she's such a good actress she's such a good actress and Richard finally stands up to Albert also and makes him leave the restaurant and yeah. Georgina wakes up next to dead michael and this is when and she's got tears streaming down her face and she tells him about all of the abuses that she suffered so yeah. again like we see this scene this theme of her needing to be witnessed yeah and how she says that albert used to make her wipe his ass with a hot towel that's right so he's a baby. Let's yeah. And he would also make her fuck herself with various objects. Yeah. And if she didn't do it, he would. Yeah. And she tried to leave him four times, but Albert and his gang found her in Brussels and took her back and stripped her and beat her. Yeah. And she also says that uh, she doesn't think that Albert was interested in sex with women. Uh, right. So. I, it's I, some articles I read interpret that it interpreted that as Albert being gay, but I just think he it it's supposed to show that he's a baby, like he's unable to to do. I I agree with that. Yeah, I, I don't interpret that. it as him being gay. Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm always a little um, I my like hackles get a little raised when uh like abuse is also described in this sort of in this way that that seems very close to the way that that bdsm is pathologized Mm -hmm. um absolutely like obviously all kinds of people are abusive in all kinds of ways but uh yeah you know what i mean it's like there's there's so much representation in fiction of people who have like their bag of toys and they like want to you know there's not enough differentiation between pathologized abusive non-consensual kink and joyful kink in 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 that moment oh absolutely it's a very like it's a very subtle difference that i just am like sensitive to because i am a pervert and yes don't want you know do you know what i mean no absolutely i mean i talk about this on the podcast all the time like bdsm has historically been used as a way to bolster the depravity of a character right um and especially like when she's describing the fetishized ritual exactly that albert has and also like he has these very specific objects that he wants to watch her fuck herself with exactly which is very much obviously like a huge part of kink is you know having your favorite 
toys and objects and ritualizing yeah. them. And yeah, I knew you. I knew you would get it. Oh yeah, I'm right there with you. And it's also um, fucked up because we're equating uh, like mainstream as much as I just get annoyed at like you know kind of the talking down of like oh vanilla people it has to be said that people who don't practice kink like don't understand leather sex and you know his, his like kind of inability to have traditional sex here is definitely being used as a way to make him even more depraved and evil right and so even then that it that um ambiguity around like her saying i don't think that he wants to have sex with women it you you could interpret that as he is a repressed homosexual and that is part of why he's such a monster uh okay but like maybe she's just saying like oh he has all of these interests in all of this like like he's a sadist is basically what she's saying. She, right? He can't like, have traditional sex. It's, it's it's obviously possible for someone who is inclined to be a sadist who does not. Now I'm getting up on my like sex educator high horse. Yes. But like it is totally possible in the same way that uh, that people weaponize intercourse or oral sex or vanilla sex or heterosexual sex um non-consensually and it becomes rape and it becomes violence like it's totally possible for someone with sadomasochistic inclinations to not have the proper outlets to understand what leather sex is or what consensual sadomasochism could be and to take out their sadism in abusive and non-consensual ways but we see way more of that decontextualized in especially film i feel like and so i just it just just my hobby horse it just bothers me just a little bit it's like the one thing especially upon rewatch that i was like i love so much of what this movie uh, is saying about eroticism and lust and desire and also like even the fact that the movie we've talked so much about all the grossness and i i love that the movie is like people wanting to fuck are just bodies that are going to be rotting one day and like you know uh like uh genitals aren't near the place where excrement comes out and like you know uh, the other end of your ass is your mouth like all of that stuff i like love all of that about the movie and it's so rare to see portrayed anywhere that like reveling in the like physicality while also still being like and yet there's something that makes us human that animates us um that that is represented in desire that that we're willing to risk everything for uh and so then that's just like one note that like does not that doesn't like ring for me i don't know no Um, i agree and that's why i wanted to bring it up because i don't like the reading of it either way like i don't like the reading of him as a repressed homosexual and i don't like the reading of it as like an impotent sadist like it's either way it doesn't it feels like um something that is ignorant that this movie is above totally 
um, that well, yeah, a lot of really smart people have like really interesting things to say about class and really interesting things to say about art, and then they just like do not fucking understand sex at all. Yes, and even when they do understand, you know, like I said, this movie understands a lot of things about sex and even like the cinematic potential of sex that so few movies do, and yet it doesn't understand that. Yeah, it doesn't understand fetishism. In exactly. it it understands it as a symbol, not as a real thing. Yeah, that's very well put. That's really yeah. that's that's the issue. Yeah. Um so Georgina uh goes to Richard in the kitchen and she asks him to implores him to cook Michael's body. Right. And there's this really interesting exchange that they have where Richard kind of talks about you know the how they price the the food items on the menu and he says that black food is more expensive because it's like consuming death <laughs> right like black caviar right yes yeah. and i really enjoyed that and he she also uh georgina's you know and him ta- are talking about how richard saw uh, her and michael having sex and she but says she how to like describe it right? yeah describe it and she says how can i know it was real unless there were witnesses what an exhibitionist i know i know i know it's so wow. as an exhibitionist slash voyeur Same. very much my shit <laughs> and richard is describing how he saw georgina and michael having sex and georgina is getting turned on um you know as much as this movie maybe doesn't understand uh, BDSM in the way that we do. It's also kind of funny because it's like this is like another way of, to have sex. Is... Well, that's I mean, right? That that is the the reason that that scene is so disappointing to me is for exactly the reason that I've stated is that or that we've been discussing that it it does understand the subtleties of like so many different kinds of eroticism, right? as like manifested in that just like uh, yeah even like dirty talk about voyeurism and exhibitionism yeah i mean i love this because her and um richard aren't having sex in a traditional way yeah but they sort of are and yeah 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 the way that he's describing it and i don't know it just kind of reminds me of like when i'll see my friends doing kinky shit and i'm like we're sort of having sex like I'm watching you have sex. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she says to him, in the memory of us making love, please cook Michael. <laughs> and Richard again refuses. Georgina offers her body. Um, and Richard questions why Georgina wants to eat him. And Georgina says, oh, she doesn't want to eat him. She wants <laughs> to make Albert eat him. And now Richard is like, I'm in. <laughs> he's like ew gross oh wait (laughs) yeah and he agrees and georgina throws this revenge anniversary party for albert and he bursts albert bursts through the door of the restaurant he's immediately pissed because he's like invited to his own restaurant right and he starts berating her but she's all cool and collected and she's wearing this fabulous cage dress with a train yeah, this is like the most Baroque scene in the yes. movie. And that is saying something. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Albert begs, Albert still is begging her to come home with him. And Georgina insists cryptically that it's his anniversary. 
And then Richard and the Kitchen Company emerge from the kitchen in a procession with um, Michael's body covered by a cloth in tow. And Pup is also there. And Georgina takes the cloth off the corpse to reveal a hideously cooked Michael. Great gift, by the way. Great gift, yes. Yeah, yeah they get a gift for any any reveal occasion right <laughs> anytime you want anytime you want a, a, a gift that uh, that signifies a, a revelation that's that's one for you cloth off there. the corpse yeah and the camera pans over the cooked body and this is like the first time that we've actually ever seen a cooked meal in this movie even though it's all about food right and it's like painfully slow over the body and the entire staff have now fully overpowered albert and Mitchell and uh, Georgina says to to um, Albert try the cock Albert <laughs> it's a delicacy and you know where it's been <laughs> yeah and Georgina forces Albert to eat Michael at, at gunpoint right 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 is right. he eating his dick yeah okay no, yeah. well he like goes for the I think he like goes for the dick and then he's like but maybe I'll just have some white meat <laughs> From his chest, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, he's obviously, uh, like, yeah, it's the first moment, it's the first moment in the entire movie that he's even remotely, um, he's cowed, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because it's like, well, yeah, he's at gunpoint and everyone is ganged up on him, but I think there's something about the depravity of the situation where he just feels in a way he's like very easily he's like knocked over with a feather you know what i mean mm-hmm. he's like he's like it it really what it takes is everyone b- being like we see you you have no power right and the illusion is broken and he is like uh his gorge is rising you know and he's like this is so awful what am i going to do and then he takes he takes like a single bite, right? Yep, and like almost pukes. Yeah, and Georgina shoots him in he the f- fucking head. In the fucking head, he falls over dead, and then we get a close up shot of Georgina, and she says, "Cannibal." And the end. The end, and then the curtain closes. <laughs> so, so we're sort of like also implicated in this, right? Like we're also the cannibals. <laughs> And because uh, we consumed this film, because we consumed this film, and uh, yeah. It's... Well, I, you know, I want to talk about um, the cannibalism theme in the end. Yes, because... I would love to hear what you have to say. Well, so okay, um, <laughs> cannibalism is interesting. <laughs> um, so I, uh, last winter, I binged the entire. TV show Hannibal, which is has a lot of similarities to this movie. Have you seen Hannibal the TV show? I have not. Okay, I think you will love it. Hey, everybody tells me that. Highly up your alley. Um, and there are like like this movie. It's very maximalist, and it's uh, it it's very weirdly sexual and fetishy. Um, it's very gay and very baroque and the yeah there's a lot of like 
what is the body you know like what does it mean to be a human like walking around in this like you know like Hannibal talks about like putting on his person suit every day, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, but you know, so there are so many themes, obviously it's Hannibal Lecter. It's so many really psychological and strange explorations of what cannibalism means. And it's often very erotic, but a lot of the time on Hannibal, eating people is about dominating them. So it's interesting to me thinking about this movie that that everyone uses Michael to dominate Albert. Like they use like force forcing him to like transgress the taboo because like that's the moment where she's like cannibal like oh you're so you're so disgusting and beneath me it's it's an insult right and it's like very ironic and and funny last line but it's definitely like oh you've transgressed the ultimate taboo by eating this man but for somebody who spends the entire movie being like there is no taboo i won't transgress in order to dominate everyone and everything maybe that's the irony is that he transgresses that taboo because he's being forced to and that is the moment that he is like put out of his fucking misery yeah totally and it's also kind of highlighting how um like purity cannot exist without the abject so Hmm. Like he has to be forced, you know, he, he has to break the transgression, but he's forced to break it. It, it, I'm going somewhere with this, but I have, don't have a fully formed thought, but yeah, like kind of how, um, repentance can't exist without sin. Interesting. Like this, um, satisfying moment can't kind of can't exist without the horror of the moment. Um, it's interesting to think about how he force fed Michael a book, yeah, a book which represents knowledge, right. but also like represent like it. It's also that moment of gluttony because like like what Michael loves more than anything is books, right? And so he's like force fed this this thing that he loves, and it, and he dies by it. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like Albert was like preparing Michael, like stuffing him like stuffed meat. Uh, yeah. Like with knowledge in preparation for then having to eat him. Well, and then you could even go even deeper with it because like when Richard was saying, Oh, when you eat someone they become part of you. Right. It's like Albert is now eating Michael and kind of becoming he's becoming part of him, like absorbing his knowledge. Yeah. And uh but, but then now not he's dead. he gets shot in the fucking head. Yeah, exactly. Do we feel like this is a satisfying revenge cycle? for Georgina? Um, I was actually thinking about the same thing. I, I do. 
Um, but then I was like, sort of, <laughs> I was reading this article about like, oh, we're all implicated at this and like identifying with any of the four main characters exacts a price. And I'm like, fuck that. Like, <laughs> like I'm the bitch on the corset. Exactly. The yeah. Like yeah. I'm okay with being Georgina. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Well, it's certainly a tragedy. Um, yes. Because she really did care about Michael and Michael offered her freedom and liberation. And she is free now, presumably. Yes. Of Albert and his tyranny. And she's also freed how many people were suffering under his tyranny. What's next for Georgina? Do you think she takes over the restaurant? I was just going to say, I fantasize about her and Richard kind of working together um, and, and having like, I'm not going to have sex with you, but I will masturbate while you describe all the times that I had sex with my dead lover in your kitchen. Well, and then I was also like, okay, so then she's going to keep fucking people in the kitchen and Richard will watch and describe it to her. And they have like a kind of relationship. <laughs> that sounds nice. Plus she's got that big library now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like it's, the ending is satisfying, but it's also, yeah, incredibly tragic. Whereas yeah. um, in a lot of, like, satisfying revenge cycles, it's not necessarily tragic at the end. It's just kind of triumphant. So, yeah, it's definitely not, like, it's it's a, it's a moment of, it's a bitter triumph yes. for her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well... I hope that she takes some time to heal and have some <laughs> yes. self-care. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, like, read and eat and drink her coffee in peace. Yes. And, you know, Michael will always live on with her. And I mean, it's just very poetic that you know michael bests albert at every step of the way in this I mean, movie I, I mean i guess the very first thing that she does is eat him you, like because she goes down on him no 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 oh, oh, oh i thought you were saying after the... when, no no when they when they meet in the bathroom he's like yeah let's make out and she's like no i need you in my mouth yeah no that's a great point yeah yeah um and also Albert at one point says he's going to eat Michael and then he does. Yeah. <laughs> so that That's was what he says he says I'm going to kill him and eat him. Yes. And yeah. he literally does. Yeah. So that was the cook, the thief, um his wife and her lover. Uh thank you so much Tina for talking thank about you. this with this me. Thank you. This was so fun. This was great. You have to come back on the podcast anytime. We'll do it IRL. Yeah, um, sounds good. And in the meantime, where can people find you on social media? Well, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at Tina Horns Ass. That's T I N A H O R N S A S S. My website is tinahorn.net. And you should subscribe to Wire People Into That anywhere you pod. And I really think that. If you are interested in my sick and twisted ideas about sex and 
love and torture, you should check out Safe Sex, which is a comic book full of very dangerous sex. Um, and uh, and yeah, and give Do me all it. your money. And yeah. give any all your money. Just I don't give us both all your money. Tip us, tip us, <laughs> especially if you have money. Yeah. Um, and you know where to find me. I am Girls Guts Jallo on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find my Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/GirlsGutsJallo. And until next time, I'll uh, see you. See you all next week. Bye.